You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to another scary episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. It's time to get a little creepy when we look at H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos. It's going to be a lot of fun, folks, and it's going to be a great time. And we got a spooky crew to talk about it tonight. Let's welcome Darren and Bush. Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, my friend. How are you? You, you, you could you could stop that. No way, man. <laughs> yeah, too much fun. I'm having a blast. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna wait to complain about the voice until after we're done recording, and it's, and the, and and it's the podcast podcast has been published, so like you know. I'm doing we well. Thank welcome, you for having me. We're welcome to also have Kyle Mitchell with us. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me as well. Oh, it is great to have. So it's always good to be here, have you here. So thank you for joining us. And of course, last but definitely not dead last is Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. <laughs> See, I, I, I can do it too. Uh, I know. That, that's, about, that's about the extent of it. That's about the extent. I can do a horror podcast as best as the other end. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> So awesome, folks. We're going to be talking all about Lovecraft tonight. And, you know, we're going to be focusing a lot on Cthulhu and some of the other stories and mythos around it. And it's going to be very interesting to chat about it and such. And of course, we would love to hear from you guys at home. Feedback at our station one is the best way to get in touch with us. And, you know, if you haven't told your friends and neighbors about us, why not? You know, what are you waiting for? For them to die to tell us about it? You know? So come on, folks, before we get too dark and deep, let's take it away, Mr. Mike. Yeah, um, Lovecraft is one of those authors that I've uh, steered away from over the years uh, because, one, um, I, I'm not hugely into, like, cosmic horror. Um, and I'd always been, to be honest with you, I'd always been afraid that uh, reading his stuff would it would give me nightmares. And, uh, um, and then while that is probable, I decided to finally give it a chance because now it was almost a, like – Oh, the hype and the reputation of Lovecraft is so immense now that if I go to read it, I'm going to be like underwhelmed. I'm going to be like, ah, oh, this wasn't, I don't see what the big deal was. So I finally got a chance to read the short story Call of Cthulhu, which was originally published in 1928. And it sort of started the Cthulhu mythos, which is probably, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, of course, at any time. Um, but, uh, that this is probably the, the thing that Lovecraft is, is biggest legacy. Um, and yeah, we're going to, so we're going to focus on, on the story and, and the mythos, uh, around Cthulhu. Um, but, uh, I, I'm interested to hear where your journey started and Kyle, we'll start with you. Where did you do? Is this the first story that you read by Lovecraft? How were you introduced originally to Lovecraft and his work and this story in particular? Well, I have a very, uh, interesting, experience that I got into Lovecraft that many of your listeners will probably relate to because I I think I probably had vaguely heard of Lovecraft before, uh, but not until around 2000 something, early 2000s, and I attended Dragon Con in Atlanta, and I couldn't get into the two panels that I wanted to, so I went to the, the basement of the Hyatt, I think it was, and wound up getting into an H.P. Lovecraft panel uh, and it blew my mind. I was like, why have I not been reading Lovecraft for 
years and and why has this missed you know my radar because i'm a huge poe fan and and you know poe influenced lovecraft and uh i got into it right i went straight home went to the library got uh lovecraft anthologies and the rest is history uh and i i think maybe the very first story i read was the outsider i think but uh yeah pretty quickly followed by all the major you know hits like mm-hmm. the call of cthulhu and at the mountains of madness mm-hmm. darren what about you so i was raised by nerds you can kind of tell and i believe i'd heard of really? lovecraft from my <laughs> yes I'm mike sure. really i'm sure i had I know, I, I know it's, it's, I'm an iconoclast. The, so I was exposed to science fiction and fantasy very early. I was exposed to like adult science fiction, probably a little too young. I was, you know, I was reading Dune and Lord of the Rings, probably way too young, but it got me started down the path. Lovecraft was something that my dad, who was a science fiction collector and reader, he knew about, but I hadn't really read any of it. But then I was, as a teenager in high school, I was working in a bookstore and there were all these H.P. Lovecraft books in our science fiction section, which they're they're just sitting there. And I'm like, okay, so I get an employee discount. I've heard about this. Let me just get into this. I got one of the anthologies and I think I just read it from cover to cover. So I don't remember like Call of Cthulhu being the first story I read, but it certainly was one of the ones that had the biggest impact on me as as a fan of science fiction, cosmic horror and Lovecraft. Because it's just, it's an amazing achievement of a story. But I think, I think I've read all of his stuff. Oh, wow. Eventually. Mike, uh, have you read, uh, This is this your first experience reading Lovecraft? And No, not at all, actually. I've been reading Lovecraft since high school when I got my job working at Crown Books in Washington, D.C. And we had one of the anthologies and one of the young ladies who was working as the assistant manager knew I was a Doctor Who geek and Star Trek and all that. And she says, "Have you ever read any, you know, a horror?" And I said, "Oh yeah, of course, Stephen King, and such." And she says, "Have you ever read any Lovecraft?" And I said, "No. What is Lovecraft? Is that a romance book or something? You know, a novel?" <laughs> and she said, yes. "Oh no, 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 no." And she says, I want you to meet Cthulhu. And basically, um, <laughs> she gave me one of the books. And this was a friend? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was it was interesting. I didn't get into it as much as I thought I would. And I don't know if it was a maturity level or what with it. But I kept on trying to come back to it over through college. And I finally, it caught on probably in my early 20s. I was living out in Seattle already. And the woman I was dating um, was a very big Lovecraft fan. And she loved, you know, Tolkien. She loved Lovecraft. She loved, you know, a lot of the different, you know, Lion, One Shit, the Wardrobe, you know, all the different, you know, books like that. And so... You know, and she and but it was funny. She didn't like Stephen King for some reason. I don't know, but it was just it was just interesting. But I, you know, I read the Call of Cthulhu probably the first time I was like seventeen, but I hadn't read it again until recently. And when you announced that we that's what we were going to be talking about for the show, I went back and reread it, and it was interesting. I found this very similar to reading Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein because it was like from the, like the journals and everything. And it was just real interesting. And I enjoyed it a lot more, I think this time than I ever have. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. uh, Like I said, I hadn't read Lovecraft and, and one of the things, one of the reasons why that I had substantial reason to think that, you know, that it would harm me um, emotionally and, and psychologically was that uh, I, even though I, one of my favorite books of all time uh, is Dracula. Um, I, I knew that reading it was uh, it, it put images in my head that were very difficult to shake. Um, and so I, uh, 
And same thing with War of the Worlds. I love those stories. Love those stories. They're two of my favorite books of all time. And I've read them multiple times in different adaptations, different versions of them, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but they have both given me images that are hard to shake. And so, uh, I didn't really seek that out. And I feel, I felt like Lovecraft would have been capable of, 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 especially since, in uh in the late 70s i think it was 79 uh, i was collecting a um uh a, a magazine called starlog and they had this story about a movie that was coming out and being produced called the cry of cthulhu and it was the first time that this was going to be attempted uh to do a movie on the cthulhu mythos etc cetera, etc cetera. the images that were associated with this article of the creatures that were in this those made an impression on me. Those were, and they're, not, and I didn't even understand it at the time. But they weren't of Cthulhu himself, but they were of these creatures that I was just like horrified by. Um, anybody ever seeks that article out, man? It is got some a couple of images of creatures that I'm like, the movie was never made, um, and it never finished, never completed, or whatever. I don't know if any footage exists. I haven't really uh, sought it out that highly, but. Um, but anyway, so I, I did have some reason to think like, like that, you know, if those creatures are in the, the books or the stories or whatever, then yeah, that's something that I'm probably going to just steer away from. Um, but I was over the years, I've been curious, you know, I've been really curious. And so I thought, you know, I'm a big boy now in my fifties, <laughs> I should be able to handle it. Right. Like, and you know, if it does stick with me for the rest of my life, how long is that going to be now? Right. So, um, uh, so let's, uh, so let's give it a, a whirl and, and see what this is all about. So I got my edition of, uh, Cry of Cthulhu and, well, wonderfully illustrated in case I needed help with the creating visions, right? Um, wonderfully illustrated. Um, but at this point, I already knew what Cthulhu looked like. I knew a little bit about the mythos because of other things that we'll probably talk about later. Heck, you know, the, the new song on the Tiki Zombie album is called Cthulhu Owl. Like it was, so I, I'm definitely playing off that, you know, like, so I, I figure if I'm going to play in that sandbox, I probably should know what I'm talking about. So, uh, so I read the story for the first time, uh, this past week. And, uh, first of all, the idea that, uh, it, it might've been overhyped or oversold or the reputation might've been huge, uh, like a mountain for me to climb completely dispelled because my expectations were, were not only met but exceeded but by far this is a a really great story it's not a traditional type story as you pointed out mike the way that it's told i love the fact that the first two paragraphs are basically the author it's because it's in first person and for those people who haven't read it we are going to spoil it so if you haven't read cry of cthulhu i uh, don't know anything about it so uh, we're going to go into some spoilers as well but the author or the first person narrator, you know, basically talks about how like, hey, I put these things together. Um, it really is dangerous. I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Um, it's really dangerous. I don't think anybody should make these connections. But here, let me explain exactly what I did. And it's like, wait a minute, you're just telling me that nobody should know this information. It's dangerous to know this information, life threatening. Yeah. And yet here you go, like, okay, now, like, turn the page, like, there's a monster at the end of this book, like, there's a Cthulhu at the end of this book, right? Like, it's it's very much set up like that. Um, but the 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 mythos that he creates and i know that it's referenced i mean i we'll talk about the influences as well but um the 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 mythos that he creates is so feels so authentic by not only the details he provides but also the things he leaves out because he leaves just enough mystery there that you're making connections in your head and it's just so effective that by the mm -hmm. end of the story you are kind of thinking my God, this is, how have I not heard about this? This is like, this is, this is dangerous. This must be real. And, uh, and it is quite, quite alarming. Um, so, uh, let me go to you, Kyle. Like, is that sort of your feeling about this story as well? Do you feel like it's one of his best? Yeah. And, and first of all, you, you were saying the cry of Cthulhu. Uh, I think that was the cry of Mike, uh, before he was, uh, <laughs> reading it and uh but the, the call of the, yeah no i do I, the call of cthulhu is definitely one of the best of of, of lovecraft stuff it uh is one of the mo the more epic because lovecraft has a lot of very 
you know, small town, very few characters, uh, very, very few, few even set, uh, different sites, locations in, in, a, in the individual story. But at the Mountains of Madness, which Lovecraft said that he thought was his best creation, and then The, the Call of Cthulhu, uh, another one of the, he thought was one of his best uh, and what are both really epic uh, stories. I think at the mountains of madness is actually a novella, but, but uh, the call of Cthulhu. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's uh, like you said, it's, it's starting out very kind of epistolary. Is that the right term? Right. With yep. lots of bit collected papers. And then also uh, the statue that uh, we can see a replica of there in Darren's uh, bottom left <laughs> corner of his, zoom window and it's uh yeah so it's 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 epic it goes you know uh, globe trotting it's uh you know and again you actually do see a great old one uh you see this eldritch god air quotes uh and that you don't see in a lot of of his works because lovecraft based he was inspired by so many writers, like you were saying. Uh, so he even says he's got his Poe stories and he's got his, you know, Lord Dunsany stories and, you know, so forth. Uh, but this was one of those that he uh, and uh, Algernon Blackwood, one of his his uh, favorite stories was The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. And you can see a lot of those little elements sprinkled in The Call of Cthulhu. Uh, that's this, you know, the epic kind of uh, archaeological uh, investigation, you know, detective mm-hmm. kind of story, uh, and and then ultimately cosmic horror adventure. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts off very small and intimate. Uh, the relationship between the narrator and his uncle, and uh, you know, this one person comes to him, an artist, et cetera, et cetera. His uncle, that is, and there's, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, the narrator doesn't actually. I mean, other than do the research and collect these things, doesn't is not an active participant in in the events that happen um, and, and probably a good thing for him. Uh, Although, you know, he does admit toward the end that, yeah, my days are probably pretty numbered because I know this stuff and I've made this connection and everybody associated with Cthulhu and this has, is dead. So like, so good luck with you now that you finish the story, like (laughs) now that you finished and you know, good luck. Um, (laughs) <laughs> not only is the story done you are too exactly right. <laughs> yep. just remember you know uh just like jesus loves you cthulhu loads you <laughs> uh darren what about you what uh what is something that you you know that you take from the story as well this this is really the you know i don't think lovecraft intended it to be but this is really the flagship story of cosmic horror now you know 100 almost 100 years later it is still the the ideal way of of kind of establishing what cosmic horror is i mean cosmic horror is not aliens land on earth and want to steal our water or whatever i mean this is this is that these things are all from outside of our universe not just out not from off planet so the scale and scope of this thing is and you know lovecraft said this the scale and scope of these creatures and where they're from and the dimension that they're from is beyond our ability to comprehend. The One of the things that Lovecraft put in a lot of his stories was that the names of the things and the language were all unpronounceable by humans because we just don't have the right – like to try and not be too graphic, we don't have the right mouth parts. Mm-hmm. So we're, we, you know, our bodies aren't physically capable of pronouncing the language, so we just do the best we can, right? Um, our brains aren't capable of understanding what we're seeing, so we just make images in our heads to try and comprehend what's going on, and that process, that process breaks most people's sanity. That that we suddenly you are fully aware that the universe is not alone, and that the other parallel universes have things like this in it, and most people go mad just instantly on that realization it is it is lucky for us within within the cthulhu mythos universe it is lucky for us that some of these people survive long enough to write down some notes that we can later read and that's really where that's really what call of cthulhu is is he he literally says at one point at least one point in the story when he's kind of summing up he goes every once in a while when i'm working on this i just want to kill myself which of course right is and and it's he's not making light of the notion of suicide he's very seriously talking about this is making me crazy 
the what what it is that I'm investigating and what is going on is becoming more and more real as I literally travel around the world one and a half times. And it's like, I can't deny this. This isn't a hoax. It isn't a joke. It's real. This is, this happened. So I don't know what to do. Yeah. And the weight of it is too much for me to bear. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mike, what about, what about you? What's, uh, what's something else from the story that, uh, that uh, impressed you? It was interesting because it is almost like a detective story. The narrator is slowly putting the pieces that his uncle started and then taking it to the next level and realizing as he's putting this together, as he's getting further into it, that his life is pretty much over and that, you know, the more he learns about the legend of Cthulhu, he is, you know, his life as he knows it is over. He is not, you know, he doesn't have long to live. He, anyone who knows about it is going to either get a syringe in the back with poison in it, or they're going to mysteriously fall into the water and drown or, you know, die in their sleep mysteriously, you know. Or, you know, and it's just, it's horrifying to think about, you know, it's like finding out about a secret organization that's been right under your nose the whole time. And it's like the blindfolds are being taken off slowly. Yeah. And the world around him is not the world he thought it was. And it's chilling in that way. Absolutely. Because it's the thing about the cosmic horror is not... As you said, Darren, it's not like, hey, aliens, you know, Mars needs women kind of thing, right? It's more like (laughs) it's it's this is like not just not just these beings from another dimension, but also the fact that they've been here before. They they used to rule like this was theirs. Like we are we are trespassing like (laughs) we are insignificant little beings like trespassing on what's theirs and they mm-hmm. are just looking for a chance to return. And once they do, uh, you know, our, our time is over. Mm-hmm. That, that is, that is very scary. <laughs> it's yeah, what, we're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're like, we're not even sure that we're food. Right. Like we're, we're, we're below food as far as they're concerned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's we're people, scholars are still discussing this within, within, you know, uh, um, literary scholars are still talking about, oh, wait, what did Lovecraft really, what was he really saying about our relationship to these things? And uh, I think there, none, I think none, not applicable. We, we, um, I think that almost everything that human beings latch onto in the Cthulhu mythos about like our role in the universe is the delusions of the people who are trying to process what's going on. The cultists are the ones who keep saying things like, human beings will be able to participate in Cthulhu's version of the world. No, we made that up. There's no evidence that that's true. <laughs> that's propaganda. So we're not, like, I'm, I, I'm pretty much convinced that we're just irrelevant to them. And that is part of why it's, it's cosmic horror is that the, the universe and every bit of it. And a lot of people have talked about this. Nothing in the universe gives a crap about human beings Mm-mm. except human beings. Right. We're self-important, basically. Right. Yeah, that, that we're, that, and that's that's part of, and that's part of the kind of nihilism, existential threat, kind of phil- philosophical discussion that that Lovecraft sparks with Cthulhu and a lot of his other stuff is, does anything matter? Right. Right. I mean, it does seem like they need us to open the door so they can come back. <laughs> like it does seem like, uh, you know, they they that that because. You know, I think the big the big line or the translated thing is that Cthulhu waits, right? For mm-hmm. Dream, for dreaming, yeah, yeah, he's lights yeah. dreaming for you know, and and so it, it's not until the the cultists in the story at least uh, open the door on in the in the ocean that he's able to you know emerge, and then even at then we don't we don't even know we don't even know sorry what what like what the result of that is is he still around is he did he go back like we don't even really know and that and that so he's out there 
Sorry, Mike. What? No, no, I was going to say it wasn't even the cultists who opened the door in the, yeah. it was the sailors. Right. They right. That's why I yeah. found yeah. it by accident and they, they opened it and it wasn't even what that's one of the things the author or the narrator said in the book was it wasn't even his followers that opened was able to open it for him. It was the, the sailors who did it by accident and they paid the ultimate price for it. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. This is, of, this is another part of, to build on what you're saying, Mike, this is another part of, of Lovecraft's genius as a storyteller is the narrator said that, but where did he get that from? And why does he think that? Is that really true? How does it really work? There is no explanation. Well, we're not going to, we're not going to, we can only guess. Well, he was, he was reading it in the transcripts from that one sailor. Yeah. From uh, Jorgensen. Yeah. Jorgensen. Yeah. and everything about it because yeah you know he and he, it was it was fascinating because he said you know and the narrator was saying he wrote the jorgensen wrote it in english so his wife couldn't read it so she mm-hmm. wouldn't be affected yeah. by everything which is another layer of the fear of the unknown mm-hmm. uh, that, exactly. that Lovecraft just wo- wove in so beautifully through so many of his stories and then like you were all saying uh, insignificance, you know, in the universe and, and stuff that truly we are insignificant in the whole cosmos. Uh, and, and then when you think about that, yeah, like, okay, Cthulhu, you know, didn't set an alarm, you know, to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden yeah. that pesky evolution. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got actually thinking, uh, deducing human beings that, that can, yeah can come and 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 disturb his sleep. I want some I want some artist to do this thing where Cthulhu is in bed and Cthulhu's mom is at the door and Cthulhu's going, Mom, five million more years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's the other thing too that struck me when I was reading this is that Cthulhu's not even the big bad in this. Like and in in, in in like Cthulhu is sort of the herald, right? That that was is mm-hmm. is is bridging the gap between like our world and and ushering in the 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 great old ones and the the pantheon of of these entities that are so immensely hard to describe um but yeah it's not even like i mean cthulhu does uh do some do some damage in this story uh so we do see the immensity of of what this is of what cthulhu is but but for all his grandor he's just he is just or it whatever is just a small <laughs> being compared to the the great old ones right that are that are yeah. lurking um on the other side um and yeah so now uh now so i've read this story um you know lowcraft uh, published this story in in in, in 28 um uh in 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 weird tales uh appropriately enough um and um my understanding is and i don't know about this story itself but my understanding is is that lovecraft was not really discovered until after his death is that correct is that he's he wasn't like he like he never knew how popular his work wasn't popular while he was alive is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah obscure yeah obscure name even to people you know, that read that genre, you know, the kind of stuff, sci-fi and horror and, and supernatural stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, one of his contemporaries and friends that he, you know, wrote, wrote, co-wrote stories with and collab- collaborated and, and so forth, August Derleth, uh, basically decided to create Arkham House Press and and then publish his stories and uh, and then, you know, make it, make him a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and Lovecraft, at, in his letters, he talks with his friends because he was a prolific letter writer. He would have been he would have been uh, on Twitter if oh, Twitter absolutely. if Twitter was around. He would have been he would have tweeted all the time, constantly. He was he was a very <laughs> prolific letter writer. Um, he he would get correspondence from his friends who were writers, and they'd write stories in in his universe, and he was thrilled. And then later in his later stories. He would incorporate stuff that they'd come up with into his mythos, and he, he'd add their stuff to his stories. So it became this sort of like group project. And so I don't think that he saw any real like 
financial success or critical success during his lifetime. I'm pretty sure he didn't, but I don't think he cared. I think he was very excited to have this like this community of people, of creative people around him who latched on to his idea and wanted to help him build on his idea. So there's um, there's this great there's this great thing about where August Derleth, who's one of the the neo Lovecraftians, if you'll pardon the expression, he was pushing for it to be called the Cthulhu Mythos, and Lovecraft was like, "Nah, I don't like that name." <laughs> yeah, what do you call it? The, the, wanted to call it the Yog Sothery. Yogg-Sothery? Yes, which we've already Another. proven Cthulhu Mythos is a better title. Yeah, <laughs> just, I just, just from that. I just stumbled all over it, right, yeah. Cthulhu uh, also, is hard to, is hard to, hard to, when you see that word, it's like, how do you pronounce that? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and if I'm remembering correctly, in the Call of Cthulhu story, didn't he even, uh, like, call out one of his fellow friends and writers, Clark Ashton Smith, uh, when he's talking about the... Uh, all the global things that are events and stuff that are happening all at the same time that are kind of that he collect in the papers and stuff like that. He, he even mentions one of his only fellow, uh, another fellow contemporary, Clark Ashton Smith in that. So like name drop in here, like Stephen King just, you know, name drops in another horror writer of our day. Right. Um so my understanding is, of course, that the Call of Cthulhu, it doesn't end there. It's just it just that this is literally just the beginning that uh, Lovecraft does refer to Cthulhu and the old ones, the aged ones, elder gods, whatever the mythos, so to speak, <laughs> uh, in other stories. Um, I think um, Dunwich Horror, is that correct? Is that one of them that uh, that the mythos kind of. Perhaps I can. I think it's mentioned in At the Mountains of Madness. I think Cthulhu is mentioned. Right? Gotcha. Absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. I think Cthulhu is mentioned in a lot of his stories in passing. Like there's there's always that whole thing about like I was going through the, the basement library and I found this book on Cthulhu cults and threw it aside and went to the thing that the story is actually about. There's always little like he refers to himself and to his his contemporaries in every story he sneaks he name drops i think name drop is probably the best term there he name drops his his characters and creatures constantly but there's but like cthulhu as an entity is barely in this story and i don't think he's in any of the other stories it's his influence on the world and it's the kind of like the the gateway to this larger conversation that really is what what's cthulhu is so important about is is there so once you read Call of Cthulhu, is if you want to remain, if you're interested in this mythos, is there a next step as far as a next story and there a next like or or like or is it yeah. just sort of like mm, not I'm not directly. I would I would recommend going from there to At the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Cthulhu cults and the Cthulhu like spawn things are referenced as part of the larger story of what's going on in at the mountains of madness. It is a novella. It's a longer piece. It's, it's the story of a scientific expedition. So there's a lot of technical stuff in it. His scientific information that's provided in that story is top notch. It's amazing. He did, he did the deep research. He did it right. He had basically, I think the narrator is a geologist yeah, right. The narrator's a geologist. And so he goes into why they're in Antarctica poking holes in mountains. And then things get really, you know, cosmic horror-y. That's, that's where I would go next. Now, um, I, I, yeah, um, looking past Lovecraft and the legacy that's created here, I think one of the reasons that Call of Cthulhu and some of the Lovecraft work uh, with this mythos um, I don't think a lot of it has been adapted into like feature films or, or movies or anything like that. So that's why I think they're, they're still sort of, um, uh, underrated, if you will. Um, and after reading the original story, I can understand this would be difficult to film on a, on a modest budget, certainly. And also it deals with concepts that are very difficult. I mean, you'd have to find the right person to try to, um bring this this sort of thing to life as far as on the big screen or in a series or whatever but the influence 
is is huge. I mean, I I know from you know I know from reading comics and 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 having seen characters like Man Thing or watching the Hellboy movie or Hellboy himself. There's a lot of like influence of. I mean, they're they're opening a portal, right? To like to this to, to cosmic entities. I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like Cthulhu without being Cthulhu, right? Um, uh, mm-hmm. I know that there was a movie a few years ago called Cthulhu. Uh, I looked into that one, but it it doesn't look like it's very worth checking out. Um, where what what about the legacy that you've seen that that particularly stands out for you, Kyle? Well, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society makes some pretty cool stuff. Uh, they've made a few films and that they kind of make look like they are older, you know, in the in the 30s, 40s, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And there is one of The Call of Cthulhu. Uh, there's the Whisper in the Darkness, I think, as well. Uh, they also produce uh, music. There's great solstice albums, winter solstice uh, AKA Christmas Carol, uh, albums, you know, uh, so away in a madhouse, uh, one of those classics, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Fishmen, uh, you know, <laughs> classics, classics like that. You should go and check out. So I do highly recommend the, the, the official HP Lovecraft historical society stuff. Uh, but, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff that are, is like Lovecraftian that is not really official stuff based on, and sadly, a lot of Lovecraft's stuff, uh, the, as far as feature films and, and things you can find on streaming services now are really just ripoffs using his name recognition. Mm, yeah. Recently, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you'd have to be careful with that. It's sort of like, Hitchcockian. It's like they they sort of slap that with any thriller, right? Um, but it doesn't really mean that it's really as as that high quality. But but I, to, you were saying you you were scared uh, just reading some of the stuff and and even seeing the picture in the magazine. Uh, one of the after probably Creature from the Black Lagoon as a kid that scared the crap out of me. The next movie that scared the crap out of me that literally I had to turn it off. I turn it on. I turn it off. Uh, uh, was, was, uh, reanimator Jeffrey Combs and was that Stuart Gordon's? Yeah, uh, yeah, film? I think so. Uh, Herbert West reanimator. And Ooh. that's fantastic. I mean, it's still also kind of campy at point, you know, whatever, but it's got some really good, like, effects and special effects and stuff in there. I highly recommend that. Dagon is another good, good one that's been adapted from his story. And, uh, yeah, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to see an actual real live action by a, you know, major director to, to do that. Uh, Guillermo, I think it's Guillermo del Toro that always yeah. wanted to make At the Mountains of Madness. I can't, I can't think of anybody more perfect to, to sort of adapt this kind of work because, I mean, I definitely see his, you know, with the, like, like, well, he did the first Hellboy movie. Um, yep. so there's obviously that there, but also just his other stuff. I mean, I definitely feel like that's, that's present there. Yeah. In his yeah. Work. And P- P- Pacific Rim has some elements of the Lovecraft kind of mythology. The Cthulhu mythos is, is soaked into Pacific Rim also disguised mm-hmm. as a kaiju robot movie. The, the influences of, of Lovecraft and Cthulhu are just everywhere. I was, I saw Solo in the theater and we got to the Kessel Run part. And I just started laughing and the whole and the whole audience is like, why is he laughing? I'm like, it's Cthulhu. Cthulhu has a cameo in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, it, it's a it's a giant space creature with tentacles. It's cosmic. Right. It's it's Cthulhu, guys. So, yeah, it, there there are a lot of there are a lot of um, uh, influences of Lovecraft on just everybody. Stephen King wrote a novella, which basically at the end of the story, he, you end up in really yeah, which is the place where Cthulhu is lies dreaming, uh, having a very long nap. The uh, there's a movie called Cast a Deadly Spell, which is like mm-hmm. David Warner, Fred Ward. It's like I think it's 30 years old at this point. But if you can catch it somewhere, absolutely catch it because it's Cthulhu. It's not they don't reference Cthulhu. It's Cthulhu, and one of the one of the best twist endings of a horror movie ever. There's a lot of really great funny stuff in it. Um, yeah. it. it just like like we can just go on and on. Kyle and I both own like a dozen different Cthulhu-based games. There's the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. There's the Arkham Horror series of board games, which are incredible. Um, quick, quick little thing about this game. 
all all of the different versions of the old elder things or the great old ones or the the I think Mike at one point said the aged ones that was pretty good. At the at some point in the game, you draw a card and it's one of the great old ones and it has all these things on the card that like this is how you figure out if you're going to survive or not. If you draw Cthulhu, the card just says everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting too because. <laughs> Watching Lord of the Rings movies and in the scene where they were in the caves and Gandalf, you know, they were crossing the bridge and that demon comes up, the ones, the one breathing flames and has Balrog. Is that Balrog? Balrog. I was, as soon as I saw it, I was thinking Cthulhu and a lot of ways. And it was just, and it, it hit me because. I don't know what I had pictured at that point, you know, for Cthulhu, you know, I knew the tentacles, I knew the wings and everything. And I saw it, saw it coming up visually and it was just like, oh, crap, you know, is that what they based this off of and everything? I wonder if what the, if that was what Tolkien was even. Yeah, because Tolkien was influenced by uh, Lovecraft and Mm -hmm the uh you make a good point too that that recurring theme of everyday innocent people who are way not qualified as investigators uh then enlisting the help of experienced aged uh, people to help and that's gandalf right i mean of course the hobbits and gandalf and all you know it's uh, yeah very very much lovecraftian formula Mm -hmm. exactly yeah Yeah. i was thinking and it was just it was interesting and then it was kind of interesting because then in in 2004 a couple years later i started going to dragon con and going through the artist alley and around the art shows there was a lot and i do mean a lot of cthulhu Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. and it was just like oh crap you know is this what I'm not supposed to be seeing right now? <laughs> Is my life in danger? <laughs> and yeah, everything. It, so. That's kind of have that element of like, you know, the, so the whole thing, like if you speak the name, it'll appear. Or, you know, if you see the image, uh, then, mm-hmm. you know, the you're doomed. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah. yeah. It does even, sort of have that. Doc, sort even of, Doctor like, Who, the weeping angels, you know, if any image of an angel is an actual is an angel is a weeping angel and that's the same thing we were talking about before we started the show any you know anything that is representative of cthulhu is cthulhu Mm -hmm. so it just it's interesting how it carries all the way through and into even modern absolutely um Darren mentioned Stephen King, and and as me people in the podcast probably know, I'm not a huge fan of, of of Stephen King. But I some of the adaptations I've seen, some of the movies, and and one of the movie in particular that strikes me as as sort of Lovecraftian, if you will, is The Mist. Um, oh yeah, oh very uh, much. That one, uh, that one is is definitely a nerves is an unnerving movie uh particularly with the end um and it kind of feels like the ending of this of the original cthulhu story like there's just this sort of sense of dread that that it ends with and uh you know you're like what do i do with that (laughs) yeah there's a there's a beautiful moment in the first the mist movie which I forget how many years old it is at this point, where they, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and one of the characters looks up mm-hmm. and all they see is that a couple hundred feet above them, there's just this large moving thing with legs that come all the way down to the ground. And like at that moment, the only thing you can do is hope that it doesn't notice you. Yeah. yeah. That's very Lovecraft is I really hope Cthulhu isn't looking this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the Bambi meets Godzilla, you know. Just... Oh yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. hope that uh, Cthulhu doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I have mixed feelings Nobody about that. To the <laughs> and like, and even and even Lovecraft kind of played onto that and knew that because a story like Pickman's Model, where you've got an, and uh, music of Eric Zahn, you've got you've got artists basically in our real world on earth at the, you know, that modern time, whatever the twenties or thirties, you know, in his stories. 
and and you, they're they're inspired and they are uh, making art, you know, of this that maybe they only experience in their dreams. And that actually, I think, is what Lovecraft did himself with with he, he it all started with a dream that he had about going to a university or a library and you know that kind of thing. Uh, so it's it's interesting. He he did that as well and really uh, embraced that that whole that that art imitates life and so forth. I definitely have to mention that I after reading this story, I definitely understand my friend Jonathan Chaffin, who who uh, has an organization. He was the one who first, uh, uh, at least my attention, came out with a Cthulhu tiki mug um and uh named his company horror and clay which i'm like oh i get that reference now (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know and he's he's created some other lovecraftian um sort of mugs to go along with that as well um but yeah i sort of understand that a lot better now um so uh so i'm 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 overall i'm i'm I'm, you know, it remains to be seen whether the images are going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Uh, but I feel like I feel like it was it was worth it to an extent. Um, but like I said, um, I'm kind of curious. So where do you recommend people go from here? If they if they read Call of Cthulhu, they like the story. Um, what what do you think they should follow up with next? Whether that be something that Lovecraft has done or something that someone else followed up with. And Darren, you got any any. Uh, places for them to to check out i would the, the in preparation for this panel i found a channel called horror babble b-a-b-b-l-e and the guy who reads the unabridged call of cthulhu uh, they like did it recently for some reason like it's amazing coincidence they re-recorded and re-released the call of cthulhu unabridged and this guy is a great narrator does a terrific job I'm going to go back and check out their channel because they seem to be one of those groups that like really loves their Lovecraft. And I know they're doing, I know they did like Dunwich Horror and other stuff. The other thing I would recommend slight left turn here is the Atlanta radio theater company loves doing their Lovecraft. They've done a bunch of adaptations Um, in the For those of you aren't familiar, familiar with artsy, they go back and do old school radio, full cast Foley guy on stage doing sound effects presentations uh, adaptations of, of lovecraft stories among other things so that so all of the kind of the fact that his legacy is so strong is really great right now because there's a lot of people doing audiobooks and radio dramas and short fan films and all kinds of stuff awesome. yeah and and there's i've been kind of going back to the other authors and that that inspired him uh yeah, inspired Lovecraft. So that's something I would recommend doing as well, because then if you like Lovecraft style individual stories, you go back and you can you can read Dunsany and Algernon Blackwood and others. Uh, but the, the, like just like Darren said too, they're also now they're animated. You just just you know search for Lovecraft on any of the streaming streaming services, and you'll see they're animated. There's a series of animated films uh, about Howard Lovecraft. You know, kind of meta as a character, an alternative, uh, you know, alternate history of of him as a hero and whatnot. So there, there's all kinds of cool, cool uh, media out there that that just run with Lovecraft himself and and uh, break the fourth wall. Uh, that that I think are, are pretty fun. There's a lot, and then you know you get go down the rabbit hole of all the comedy stuff that's out there on oh, the, sure. the interwebs. Sure. Yeah. You'll be there forever. It's, 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 it is, it's, it's, it's a wonderful time to, to be a Lovecraft fan. Yeah. I, I, I found out, or I, I was reminded recently because of some homework I was doing for Monsterama that Disney adapted one of Lovecraft stories and turned it into an episode of, um, the, the, the Atlantis Milo's return, which is Atlantis to that movie. Oh, right. It was like, it was a bunch of TV episodes strung together. And one of those episodes is basically Shadow over Innsmouth, which is the the fishmen uh, in the fishing town. And so there's some really strong Lovecraft vibes in in a Disney movie. Wow, <laughs> wow, uh, Mike. Any any thoughts from you about uh, where where people can go from there? I mean, if there are any other Lovecraft that uh, that you particularly found cool, or or anything else that's Cthulhu related? Well, it's interesting because you know you mentioned it earlier. And I'm going to bring up the original run of Hellboy, 
actually is yes. very very taken from that same genre and everything and the comics are fantastic even the first movie captures a little bit of it but i think more the comics and that's where i fell in love with more of the legends and everything because like i said i went away from it after i you know read it in high school and then came back to it late, much later but it always remained in the back of my head and then reading you know like you could pick up the trades of hellboy still fairly fairly affordable and definitely check that out because there are some amazing stories absolutely absolutely and just yeah one of the many uh comic creators that is uh is inspired by lovecraft as well and so mm -hmm. well um great ideas and i i will just add to it that if people want to know where they can go from here after this discussion they should go directly to monsterama because uh uh first of all because it's a cool place to go and second of all because kyle and darren will be doing a panel on lovecraft's other creatures and other beasts that they've created so uh we've got that panel going on we've also got a panel devoted to hellboy since it's his anniversary year for him as well so uh we hope to see you guys there we'll be promoting that probably uh at the end of the show which is coming up pretty close because uh we're going to take a quick break right now and uh, come back and close it out This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Halloween weekend is finally upon us. I know I'm super excited. have lots of fun activities and trick-or-treating events planned for my daughter. I've watched some of my favorite seasonal movies like Charlie Brown and uh, The Great Pumpkin. And I'm also looking forward to catching up and watching Hocus Pocus again. So if you have a chance in between all your Halloween festivities, there are some new movies coming out in theaters this weekend. One of them is Freelance, starring John Cena and Allison Brie, about an ex-Special Forces operator who takes a job to provide security for a journalist as she interviews a dictator. Now, this movie... I was a little disappointed when I looked at its classification and it said action. If this was a comedy, I would be all over it. I think this could be a lot of fun, but otherwise it kind of looks like your standard action thriller. Probably wait for streaming for that one. I will also be giving a pass to the movie Five Nights at Freddy's. It's apparently based on a horror video game, but now it's being updated to a movie about a really creepy pizza place. And I happened to see the trailer for this before I watched some other movie. And I quickly decided, nope, this is way too scary and intense for me. So all you kiddos that know about this video game horror franchise and are a, fun, are a fan of it, I hope you have a fun time at the theaters. And then finally, the movie that is also coming out, I believe it's in a more limited release, is The Holdovers, starring uh, Paul Giamatti as a New England prep school teacher who has to stay on campus during Christmas break to watch over students that don't have anywhere else to go. I'm kind of surprised that this was bumped up to October 27th because this definitely seems more like a Thanksgiving holiday movie for me so who knows what studios have in mind i'm interested in this one don't know if i'll see it in theaters but we'll like to check it out on streaming that's it for this week's box office buzz if you're looking for more entertainment related content be sure to check out my blog on the eso podcast website good afternoon may we be of assistance sir Yes, I'm looking for a podcast for someone who likes that 1960s headache music. Don't these podcasters have atrocious taste? Sir, may I recommend this podcast by Monkeying Around? I guarantee a migraine. I never heard of Monkeying Around. You never heard of Monkeying Around? He's, He's never, never heard, heard of, of Monkeying, monkeying around. around. What does Monkeying Around sound like? <laughs> I'll take it. He took it? He took it. 
Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Welcome to Geek Girls Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the Taylor Swift The Eras Tour film. Friday, October 13th, I made my way to the theater to watch the Eras Tour film. Now, I have been incredibly lucky to get to see Taylor Swift Eras Tour twice, but I was so excited to watch this film as well because I would see her 10 more times if I could. She is that good live, and I was so excited about them showing the film in theaters. First, I got my popcorn and drink in a themed cup and bucket, which is really cool that the theaters did that. And I know they want to make money, but I'm still really excited that they did do some type of merchandise for fans in a nice little package. There were so many people there dressed up, trading friendship bracelets, and it was just such great energy of people so excited to see the film. I haven't seen a movie theater that hopping in a really long time, and it made me really, really happy to see that. The film is the original set for the tour, minus a couple songs like Cardigan, and without the new songs that she's added since the release of her Taylor's version CDs. So no long live, stuff like that. And no special guest songs like Nothing New or Nobody No Crime since, you know, it's just a two and a half hour, almost three hour set. It's not any of the extra stuff. It's just the, the bare bones of what she started with when she started touring. The editing and transitions for each era in the film were so cool and so well done. Like, this is such a great put-together concert movie. It flows so well, it has so much energy, and it is just so fun to watch. I also loved how the, co- the concert that they used was the one where she gave Bianca Bryant the 22 hat, since Taylor Swift had a great friendship with Kobe Bryant. The people in the theater watching the film with me were so fun. We were all singing along, dancing, we were doing all of the chants for the songs, Everyone there was there to have fun and to have a good time, and we all did. It was such a cool experience, and I'm so glad that I went opening night to be able to experience it with a lot of other people who love Taylor Swift's music and were also just equally excited to be there. If you have a chance to go see the film and you enjoy live music shows, I would highly suggest going. It's playing Friday through Sunday. Some places may be playing it Thursday through Sunday at theaters for 13 weeks, so plenty of time to find a chance to go. And yeah, even if you're not like a hardcore Taylor Swift fan, I would still really suggest going to see it. It's such a fun concert. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank everyone for joining us. Kyle, it's been awesome, man. Really appreciate it, dude. Uh, hey, I pre- it was a lot of fun. Yeah, go out there and, and read some Lovecraft. Definitely. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? Uh, well, if you uh, want to find me on social media, you can go to at Poet Kyle uh, and just find me on, on all the, the app. I'm working currently on a putting, uh, uh, finishing a Lovecraftian poem and short story. Uh, hopefully, I will have up before the end of the year on uh, my uh, Kindle uh, author page. So, down the lookout for that. Awesome. And Mr. Darren, always a great pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I, I always love talking to you guys. I definitely have got to mention Monsterama. It's the website is monsteramacon.com. This is coming a little late to to kind of promote it ahead of time. But if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, wait, I'm right down the street, it's very soon. Come see us. We're definitely going to talk about Lovecraft. We're going to talk about a bunch of cool stuff. But also, I do want to plug myself a little bit here. Uh, If you go to Amazon and search for my Kindle page, Darren M. Bush, you will see that one of my published short stories is a Cthulhu Mythos story in which I... Uh, find the journals of a professor friend of mine who I believe was murdered by a monster. 
Oh. And the Cthulhu Mythos. Very nice. Very, very nice. Cool. Now that he's talking about it, this is probably the last time you'll see Darren in public. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just, wait, I'm just waiting, waiting for the scratching noises at the window, and then that'll be it. Um, and Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did, and this one was tough. I don't know if we're, yeah, I don't know how much longer we can we can last long uh, after this, but uh, we might have been tempting fate. Uh, but uh, yes, it was my pleasure. No, anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yeah, in addition to coming and seeing everybody um, at Monsterama this this coming weekend, I'm really looking forward to that. Also, something else that's happening um, and that uh, you guys only have about a weekend to, I think, as you're listening to this, uh, participate in. It's a Kickstarter for a book called An Anthology of, uh, by Van ha- Valhalla Books uh featuring vampire stories and the talent that they've got associated with this are good friends Dacre Stoker, uh Jonathan Mayberry, um the award-winning Bobby Nash, Ron Forty. Like it's just like um a, a who's who of like really great talents that are associated with this book. So uh go check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Go to Kickstarter, uh put in uh Blood Runs Deep and and check out this book because uh, it's going to be a fun one. Awesome, awesome, my friend. Very cool. Um, my shout out real quick is going out to another TV show that Judy and I have been watching. And, you know, it's going to be, of course, the Great British Baking Show. Always a fun <laughs> way to, you know, wind up your week. And, you know, and trust me, folks, I am so fripping busy during the week. A lot of times on Friday nights, it's always great to just kick up your feet, put up Netflix and, Watch Paul Hollywood tear apart these poor contestants <laughs> who are trying to bake. And it is a load of fun and everything. And this year they've got, you know, some amazing contestants going. And it's just a ton of fun to be able to watch it and everything. And, you know, it's something that both Judy and I get to look forward to. And as we like to say, it's brainless fun. And we don't have to really pay attention all the time. We can you know, work on the computer, or we could read a book or, you know, play on the phone, you know, at the same time. And, you know, because like when you're watching something like Doctor Who or you're watching something like, you know, the X-Files or something, you know, you want to pay attention because if you miss something, you know, you're lost half the time. So watching the Great British Baking Show is always a blast because you get to be able to just, you know, chill and relax type thing. I know friends of mine who watch, you know, some of the reality shows, you know, they're just like, you know, that's why I watch it because it's brainless fun. I could start, I could kind of understand that, you know, type thing. It kind of makes sense, but you will not get me to watch The Golden Bachelor. Sorry, I will not do that. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Earth Station One. We do appreciate you guys. Always remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our T Public store and get some cool ESO Network swag. You can find the link up on our website, or you could also just go to ESO Network. We also have a link up there, or just go to T Public, type in ESO Network. Pretty cool stuff up there you can find. Also, remember, if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, why not join the ESO Network Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you too can help support the ESO Network and Earth Station One. Just go to patreon.com slash ESO network. We want to hear from you anytime. Please write us. As we said earlier in the show, feedback at Earth Station One is the best way to get in touch with us. We really would love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you guys think of Lovecraft. If you want us to do more shows like that. And I can give you guys a little bit of a hint. There might be a horror podcast coming soon to the ESO network. Spoilers. I can't tell you anything about that yet. (laughs) but remember you can also find earth station one wherever fine podcasts are found and now earth station one can be also found in video format on youtube as a little bonus for watching us up on video we now have bonus material up available only available to our youtube listeners pretty cool stuff folks so you guys listening on audio it's still free but listen to us and watch us on video so it's pretty awesome and you can see a little cthulhu right there it's so cute Oh, it's adorable. See? You know, this is what you're missing on video, folks. You know? On behalf of myself, of course, Mike Faber. Of course, Mr. Mike Gordon. 
Kyle Mitchell and Darren M. Bush. Thank you for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We will see you all soon. Go to Monsterama. You guys will have a blast. Might actually even see me pop up there. You never know. So we will see you all soon. Peace. And we are done. And by the way, this is not the last Halloween episode. We have one more to go, folks. Just look some <laughs> for some silly vampires from Staten Island next time. Peace. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.